0: Wouldn't dare! Oh, Christ, he's not! Oh, yes, he is, boss.
1: Meet the Feebles.
0: Oh, hilarious. <laughs> Do you know it? No, but I can't wait to find out what that is. Suddenly, <laughs> you must think it very oddly that I enjoy the act of sodomy. You might fall the wrath of god on me, but if you try then you might agree that you enjoy the act of sodomy. Don't worry if you feel ashamed, it's been around for years. Thousands more than can be named are interested in reels. Don't worry about
2: hell, no harm will come to your soul. We're not all Pentecostal, but everybody's got an arsehole. Let me tell you about sodomy, I always think it very odd me.
0: But I enjoy the act of sodomy You might call it off a bar on me But if you try to, then you might agree That you enjoy the act of sodomy It might just improve your sex in the heart And the Just like in my human skin, that wanted to peel itself off, watching this film. Just, so, just st- stop,
1: stop, save stop. It. Okay, okay. Right, right. Okay, are you guys ready to jump into this?
2: Yeah, I'm as ready as I'm going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I'll okay. go
0: into it during the show.
1: Welcome back to GC8. I'm Eric.
0: I'm Rosie, and I'm Johanna.
1: This week we have
0: meet the Feebles.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Before we get to meet the feebles, however, uh, we got a little business to take care of. I have a new segment I want to do here called Correcting the Record, where we respond to corrections either that we've discovered on our own or that listeners to the podcast have written into GC8podcast at gmail.com. Johanna called bullshit twice during the (laughs) Mandalorian. once had to do with shrimp. (laughs) She said that that blue shrimp do not exist. And I said, yeah, they do. And she's like, that blue? And all you have to do is Google two words, blue shrimp. And what comes up is the most popular aquarium shrimp in the world.
2: Oh, oh man. The
1: blue velvet shrimp, which is bright, vivid, neon, (laughs) almost blue. So much so that I suspect for the, that close-up shot at the beginning of the episode, they actually used blue velvet shrimp.
0: All right, I concede. I concede on the blue shrimp. <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> Point number two. This is where Johanna was partially right and I was partially right. The crate dragon. I looked it up. Wikipedia says that Obi-Wan was imitating the sound of a crate dragon. I couldn't find the actual clip of it anywhere. And remember, Lucas screwed around with the edits on this so many times. Who knows? Maybe it was cut from later releases. But I have right here in my hot little hands the book. The Star Wars novel, um, which came out in 1976, predating the film Star Wars by several months, making it the first piece of Star Wars lore ever published. And in it, we have a part where Kenobi makes the noise, and that's a great Dragon call, Luke gaped in astonishment. How did you do that? I'll show you sometimes, son. It's not too hard, just takes the right attitude. A set of well-used vocal cords and a lot of wind. Now, if you were an imperial bureaucrat, I could teach you right off, but you're not. Anyway. <laughs> Obviously that dialogue's not in the film. But but it is in the book and that is in fact the sound that he used to scare off the Tuscan raiders who were trying to strip Luke's landspeeder. So where did I get it from? How did I know that? Like if like when we when I saw this I was like that's is that the creature that Obi-Wan imitated. So I thought about it and if it is in the movie I got it from the movie. If it's not in the movie, I can hear Obi-Wan's voice saying it. It turns out that that line is in the audio drama, which Nat mentioned in our very first episode, the Star Wars audio drama, which I listened to. But the Star Wars audio drama, the only actor in it that's the same as the film is Mark Hamill. And I swear I can hear it in Alec Guinness's voice. I think where I got it from was the Star Wars Story record, which was a double LP made from the audio soundtrack of the film and may predate any edits that were made to the film or cuts or things like that. I'm not sure, but I listened to it over and over and over as a because I couldn't see the movie whenever I wanted, but I could play the record whenever I wanted
2: That's what being a kid was like in the 70s, by the way. We didn't get to watch The Little Mermaid over and over again. We had records and books. It's true. That's it. That's all we got. And whatever was playing on regular television. Back in my day, this is how it happened. Well, anyway. (laughs) I'm going to say
0: then I have been out geeked (laughs) because I know the dialogue from the film back to front because I, as a child of the late 80s and 90s, did get to watch it over and over again on VHS tape whenever I wanted to. So I have the film pretty well committed to memory, but you've got me on the official uh, LP recording of the pre-cut to the film. So I will, I will hats off to you.
2: Yeah, that's, that's definitely a kudos call right there. Seriously, that is, that is geekalicious.
1: Well, let's get into what I got wrong, though. So we've talked a little bit about headcanon. Movies, are one of the great things about them is everybody experiences them differently just like music, or it's a form of art, so you bring your own interpretation to it. And I listened to that record over and over again as a kid, and so I had my own developed headcanon about what was, were, about what Sand People were, and all this, and some of it became legit part of canon. Like, I'm the first one I know of, among all my friends, who accurately predicted who Luke's father was before Empire came out. But I also had something stuck lodged in my headcanon, which I mentioned in one of our Mandalorian episodes, which I didn't know was fake or real or not part of Star Wars until this week. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) On the record and in the film, C-3PO is looking for R2 when the blockade runner has been boarded. And Leah, she's done her recording in R2, and then R2 comes back out of the sort of fog and smoke. And 3PO Anthony Daniels says, will be sent to the spice mines of Kessel, smashed into who knows what. That line refers to Kessel, the same Kessel that the Millennium Falcon bends the rules of time and space to make a run to in less than 12 parsecs. I was a huge science fiction fan. And although I had never read Dune when I was Seven, the books were still coming out concurrently with Star Wars, and I sort of absorbed them through geek osmosis. <laughs> and in my head, I heard that line as, "We'll be sent to the Spice Miser Castle, smashed into who knows what." So I mentioned the Spice Miser in the last episode. I thought that there was some kind of in my head canon that we would find out that there was the that. that Star Wars was some kind of dune for kids, and that Tatooine was Erechus, and that there was some yet to be revealed Spice Miser, which I assumed to be some kind of hookah smoking uh, Jabba the Harkonnen, you know, that had this castle probably in the desert. And it wasn't until last week when I mentioned Spice Miser during The Mandalorian and we talked about sandworms on Tatooine that I found out that it was actually. The Spice Mines of Kessel. (laughs) And so I don't know where all this goes, but somehow there is a weird Dune-Star Wars mashup lodged in my brain from when I was a kid. Have they mentioned, like, Spice Dreams and stuff like that in Star Wars? They have, haven't they?
0: It shows up in Mandalorian. I don't remember it showing up in the original trilogy.
1: Okay, so we got Sandworms, we got Desert Planet, we got Spice, we got Jabba... The Harkonnen. <laughs> I swear there is something to this. There's something behind this. Lucas read Dune before he wrote the screenplay. I swear to God.
0: Well, I think they say that Lucas was very much inspired by Jodorowsky's version of Dune, which never saw the light of day. But apparently some directors and Hollywood folks maybe saw some pieces of it. Um, but that a lot, of, a lot of sci-fi was heavily influenced by, by that version of Dune.
1: Okay, so what have you been up to since last time, Rosie?
2: The last half of The Walking Dead has just started. In my house, we're really excited about that. More me than anybody else because I'm the one who's been like a hardcore fan the whole time and hasn't given up on the show now it's getting towards the end and when they go off on side stories my boyfriend's like oh I'll just go in the other room and take care of something you you you, you watch it and whatever and I'm like well okay because I want to know what happened to Daryl during this time I want to know what happened to Carol during this time because there's all these gaps in time so you know the, the Walking Dead has been kind of my thing for a while and, and so I'm excited that it's back and I look forward to watching the final season when that comes out, too. I'm just glad to finally get my Walking Dead back because the pandemic almost completely ruined it.
1: Well, we are launching into a pretty long Peter Jackson thing because of you. So I'm telling you right now, (laughs) we're not going to do the entire Walking Dead. We might do it all in one (laughs) podcast, but we're not going to do it like we did The Mandalorian.
2: Right. uh, Okay. Fair enough. I get it. That's
0: fine.
1: <laughs> Johanna, anything interesting?
0: I'm finally starting to go through The Wire. I've watched enough movies and TV shows with my partner who has said, Oh, that's so and so from The Wire. And I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> I have to actually watch all this. I didn't have HBO when The Wire came out originally, but now it's great going back through all the TV shows I couldn't afford to watch before and really need to. So, about four episodes in, loving it.
1: So I have not watched The Wire yet, but my form of geek is very much like this show. I'm obsessive. So I had to read um, Simon's book, Homicide, Life on the Killing Streets, which is really interesting because it came out right before DNA changed everything in homicide detecting. And then I got to finish the original Homicide TV series, which is based on the same Baltimore detectives that The Wire is. And then The Wire is kind of the sequel to homicide life on the streets so basically when i get done with homicide then i'll start the wire
2: with the introduction of all of these apps that you can get to your smart tvs now you can get caught up on shows that you may have missed the first time around or had to stop watching in the middle of the series of and one of those for me that i forgot to mention is true blood i am a huge true blood fan i love that show i've met charlaine harris i've read Elmo's i've The only book of hers in that series I haven't read was the last one. I still have to dig it out because I almost lost it in a move. But I finally got to finish the True Blood series because I went through a divorce towards the end of the series. And so I missed the last season and part of the second of the last season. And I was so upset because that's my jam. (laughs) You know, that's my jam and I missed it. So I actually recently finally got caught up on that series and and I'm so happy that I did. And now they're going to bring it back and I'm just beyond thrilled.
0: Well, if we ever do our vampire series, maybe you and I can persuade Eric to watch a little bit of True Blood and, and dive into that.
2: Right, especially since one of the characters is named Eric. I mean, what more do you want? <laughs> I, I'll tell you what more
1: I want. I want the little mermaid where the prince is named Eric and the hot chick doesn't speak.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's about every man's dream, especially after he's been with somebody for a while.
1: (laughs) I had to get my misogyny out because we got wholesome entertainment this week.
2: Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We haven't been talking a lot about pop culture news, and we do talk about pop culture. One thing that happened since the last time we recorded, um, Rosie mentioned how Nowadays, you can go back and you can stream old shows that you never saw all of. And I saw last week something that I wanted to mention. We've been spending a lot of time on Star Wars, but there's another Disney property that was in the news a lot last week. The Muppets. Disney Plus put a warning on the screen for The Muppet Show, and they've tagged it as adults only, meaning it can only be accessed by an adult account on Disney Plus. Am I
2: rolling so hard right now, but okay.
1: Never mind that the movie we watch today features Muppets and can be seen for free on Tubi at any age, but go ahead, Johanna.
0: Can I actually read the the warning? I thought this was very well done, like how how they described it. And I'm so glad that you're bringing this up because this is where my mind went also. But the warning that they put says, This program includes negative depictions and or mistreatment of people or cultures. These stereotypes were wrong then and are wrong now. Rather than remove this content, we want to acknowledge its harmful impact, learn from it, and spark conversation to create a more inclusive future together. I actually think that's a really great, great you know way around the like not canceling art from the past. You know, it's I, I like this warning. I think it's good.
1: It's fine, but my issue is with disabling it from kids' accounts because kids can see way way worse than the Muppet Show. And frankly, I saw, you know, what? well, maybe it is what ruined me for life, but I saw Alice Cooper on The Muppets when I was a kid.
2: <laughs> Hell yeah. And I have,
1: welcome to my nightmare, stuck in my brain ever since.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> have you guys seen that episode?
2: No. <laughs> Pretty sure I have. The Muppets show was a regular thing in my house growing up, so we, we watched that show every week.
1: What's great is it happened right at the start of, like, the satanic panic and the culture wars and stuff like that, and you have Alice Cooper on on the Muppets, and he convinces Gonzo to sell his soul to him, (laughs) (laughs) and... And and then they go on to do this spectacular show with uh, you know the little the little dude that blows everything up with the little dynamite plunger you know he's like setting off explosions left and right and you know they do Alice Cooper performs Welcome to My Nightmare on the show and blows my mind as a kid and then at the end they always have a curtain call where Kermit comes out front and Kermit's like you know uh, giving his post show wrap up and you hear like this is the voice of doom and kermit's like sounds more like the voice of gonzo to me and gonzo comes out and he's like oh oh this is terrible and he's holding a piece of paper and he's like is that the contract you signed with alice cooper and he's like no it's worse it's the special effects bill for this show (laughs) (laughs) and i remember that joke to this day So basically, the reason I brought all this up is because we are dealing with a puppet show that may or may not have some stereotypes and other things going on in it. Um, But first, let's talk about when it came out. It came out in 1989, so at the, the polar end of that Muppet show that I was talking about. It was a New Zealand film from 1989. So let's jump back in time. The first few days of January in 1989, Tropical cyclone Delilah hits New Zealand, making it a very wet year. I think it only had a death toll of like two, but it was a very wet year. In February, the Pakistani national cricket team played New Zealand. The captain of the Pakistani team was Imran Khan, who's now the prime minister of Pakistan. And the first match was abandoned due to rain three days in a row. Uh, the second was a draw. The third was a draw when it was canceled due to rain and poor light. Yeah. Now, according to Wisden's Cricketer's Almanac, and I went and found this, uh, found a, the ebook of it, quote, in the third test at Auckland, there were perhaps five dubious decisions, at least two of them against the New Zealanders. But the Pakistan way of approaching the umpire's almost en masse, and the filthy language that was used caused great concern among the umpires and the New Zealand public, unquote.
2: <laughs> wow.
1: <laughs> Eventually, New Zealand won three out of four one-day matchups. In February and March, February to March, the New Zealand co-production The Navigator, a fantasy film, wins a bunch of awards at fantasy film festivals around the world, and gets a standing ovation at the 41st Cannes, where the closing film was the fantasy film Willow by Ron Howard, so that shows you what it was up against. It was a time travel film that parallels medieval Europe with modern New Zealand, including war and the fear of the plague, AIDS, you know, it was the Black Death that they were trying to escape. No less than Werner Herzog, who's known for making extremely difficult to make films. This is before he did as many documentaries, when he was more uh, doing dramatic film. He said it must have been difficult to make. <laughs> Noel Appleby, who played Ulf, was in two of the Lord of the Rings films. You may recall him as the hobbit that yells, proud feet in The Fellowship of the Ring. On April 1st, the Sale of Liquor Act allows supermarkets to sell wine and ends dry areas in New Zealand. On April 8th, two Swedish tourists disappeared while hiking, which led to one of the largest land based searches by police, military, and citizens in New Zealand history. This is a weird case, and I wish we were a true crime podcast because I would totally get into this. One of the bodies would not be discovered until December 1990.
2: Wow.
1: And a brother of a member of parliament was eventually convicted of the double murder based on really flimsy evidence, and primarily a jailhouse informant testimony. Um, And the jailhouse informant was later convicted of perjury for that testimony. (laughs) But the defendant, David Tamahir did have a record of manslaughter and assault charges that he fled into the bush to avoid, this case is still on appeal to this day.
2: Wow. What?
1: Yeah, it's crazy. If you have a podcast, if you're a listener and you have a podcast that covers this case, please write and let me know because I want to listen to it.
2: Yeah, me too.
1: (laughs) My contention is that In Australia, every animal is trying to kill you. Everything is
2: poisonous.
1: (laughs) In New Zealand, it's the environment that is trying to kill you. On June 4th, a rogue wave hits the yacht Rose Noel, and after one of the widest sea searches in New Zealand history of 20,000 square miles, the crew were declared lost at sea only to show up four months later after having survived by eating kiwis, which is a, like the most New Zealand thing ever.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and it was supposedly a hoax, and then it was turned out that it was actually real, that they managed to survive at sea for four months. And on the underside of a capsized yacht.
2: Jesus. <laughs> four really? months. Really?
1: Four I months. Just...
2: I'm kind of not yeah. buying that i'm kind of not buying that yeah i don't know i don't
1: really buy that I think google cool. rose noel you'll you'll see
2: All <laughs> okay right. i will i will
1: <laughs> the soundtrack to the summer in new zealand was definitely if you don't know me by now <laughs> by uk band simply red which spent 15 weeks on the chart five weeks at number one
2: love that song
1: Meanwhile, in the U.S., in August, Jim Henson and Michael Eisner begin talks for Disney to acquire the Muppets. This deal would be derailed for decades following Henson's death several months later. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: On October 2nd, Mm -hmm. New Zealand's second TV station, second TV station, TV2, which targets a younger audience than the other New Zealand station, TV1, introduces morning TV starting at 6.30 a.m., seven days a week, including the human and puppet show... What Now?, which becomes the longest-running children's show in New Zealand. I think it's still on. Thanks to deregulation on November 27th, TV3, the first private New Zealand TV station, begins broadcasting. They hire puppet maker Cameron Chidduck to design all their puppets and sets, and he has to pack everything from his shop to move to Auckland from Wellington, where he was the head of the puppet workshop of a film called Meet the Feebles. On December 8th, Meet the Feebles is released. But before we talk about that, let's talk about the third highest grossing director in cinema history, Peter Jackson, and how he came to make this film. Meet the Feebles was made by Peter Jackson, and in a lot of ways he reminds me of Lucas. A filmmaker that experimented and refined a bunch of effects technologies before he made like this epic trilogy, and he put all the things he learned together in them. Everything old is new again. You know, we talked about rear projection video in Mando. That was used in films going way back. In fact, we talked about it in Tarzan, Tarzan the Ape Man. That podcast, we talk about rear projection and how it was sort of worked and sometimes didn't work. Lucas used it in Star Wars, A New Hope. The landspeeder scenes had rear projection. And one landspeeder scene was even cut because it just really it wasn't convincing so he started turning to blue screen technology and pretty much made it the staple of special effects that we have today of all we call it green screen now because somewhere along the way they discovered that green worked better than blue anyway back to peter jackson just like lucas he was instrumental in founding visual and audio studios With Lucas, it was ILM, Industrial Light and Magic, and Skywalker Sound for the visual and the audio aspects of the film. Jackson did the same. His effects studio is called Weta, which is named after a bug, (laughs) a really creepy-looking New Zealand bug. Peter Jackson began experimenting with puppetry in his first film, Bad Taste, which was a low-budget film along the lines of Men in Black, a secret government organization investigating aliens that are here, among us and what little money it made went back into making his next film brain dead or meet the feebles because he began production on a zombie film brain dead. It was released in the U S as dead alive. Rosie, have you seen this?
2: I don't think so. I'll have to look it up.
1: If you're a zombie fan, if you like the walking dead, you got to check out dead
2: alive. Okay. I definitely will.
1: Anyway, it got caught up in development hell and While they were waiting on that, they decided to make a movie with puppets doing bad things.
0: (laughs) That's the understatement of the century.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for saying it so I didn't have to.
1: (laughs) Mind you, this was all made using... Tax money. New Zealand Film Commission (laughs) money. So he was literally using government money to make this this film, okay? And it may be part of what probably led to his dispute with the Film Commission, who had a bad breakup with him (laughs) after funding two-thirds of the $750,000 budget, and then they took their name off the film.
2: I don't blame them. I don't blame them at all. (laughs) I'd be pissed if my tax dollars were spent that way. I'm just going to say that right now.
1: (laughs) Meet the Feebles was the first film co-written with Fran Walsh, who later became Peter Jackson's life partner and co-writer and producer of all his subsequent films. So almost every film he's ever made. According to The Hollywood Reporter, while making Meet the Feebles, Jackson and his crew, most of whom were his friends just followed one creative guideline. Quote, our philosophy was that we were going to be as disgusting as we possibly could. And we didn't have any studio types on set or reading with us because there was no script to read. Really. We were just <laughs> writing it as we went along.
2: Wow. That was just painfully obvious. <laughs> Quote. Oh,
1: I'm very happy to be disgusting again if the right project comes along, he says gleefully. It would be interesting to see how disgusting Fran and I could be in our older age compared to our younger years because we've (laughs) learned a few things since then.
2: (laughs) I bet they have, okay?
1: (laughs) We know, quote, we know a little bit more about the world than we did then. So maybe our levels of disgusting could go into whole new places, unquote.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The Lord of the Rings is treated with such reverence. The books themselves are sacred tomes to many people and the movies treat the world as a sacred place. There is very, very light, good natured family level humor every once in a while that comes straight from the books. And I wonder if it takes someone who really knows what true irreverence is. Like someone who really knows how to be disgusting and wrong in order to also swing the other way and be respectful and honor something the way he honors Lord of the Rings. Like You have to be capable of both in order to do either well. I I don't know. It's just a funny thought that came to mind. Is he a Gemini?
2: (laughs) Because I'm a Gemini, and I can totally relate to that.
1: (laughs) It is a bit of a sacred tome. I have a copy of the Silmarillion uh, paperback, which I've had since I was about six years old. That same paperback sitting by my bedside, and I read a little bit from it every night. So, yeah, it's like the Bible to me.
2: Anyway... (laughs) That's awesome.
1: Meet the Feebles was originally supposed to be a short part of a TV show, but was expanded to feature length when Japanese investors weighed in on it. It was shot in 16 millimeter because it has the same aspect ratio as TV. Now, this blows my mind, but from every source I can find, it seems to be true. There is a scene that involves one of the most devastatingly powerful handheld weapons in the world the m60 machine gun and they couldn't get blanks for it so it's allegedly firing live ammo oh
2: my gosh Jesus <laughs> okay <laughs>
1: The film won a bunch of awards, Hawaii International Film Festival, Fantastic Film Festival in Sweden, Astor Cinema Retrospective, Taipei Golden Horse Film Festival, Gold Coast Fantastic Film Festival in Australia, Pushan International Film Festival in Korea, Drifting Clouds Film Festival, which is a New Zealand festival, and Kino Arrow. And then at the 2004 Oscars, when Peter Jackson was there to accept an award, he said that the Academy wisely ignored Meet the Feebles. (laughs) But he's not ashamed of it, because recently the rights to Meet the Feebles and his other early films, like Bad Taste and Braindead, have returned to him. But the original film prints are in pretty poor condition now. However, Peter Jackson did his first documentary not that long ago, They Shall Not Grow Old, in which he had WETA retool itself to film restoration, and they restored all this old uh, World War One film footage and uh, made that documentary. So he's like, what the hell? To test it, he ran out some of the original meet the feeble 16 millimeter <laughs> negatives through the pipeline that was used for this archival World War I thing, and he said... And shit, it looks fantastic. So his plan is to re-release a fully restored Meet the Feebles using the technology that he... Pie- and this is, again, how the gears turn. You know, the technology that was used to restore World War I footage is now being used to restore Meet the Feebles.
0: Wow. <laughs> I don't know. I think they shouldn't be allowed to use the word restored to describe whatever they do to Meet the Feebles. Like, there's got to be some other word. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Duct-taped, like, you know, the film version of (laughs) duct-taped.
1: According to the New Zealand Film Commission website, Meet the Feebles was director Peter Jackson's second feature film. He describes the film as a kind of Roger Rabbit meets Brazil, (laughs) says Jackson. Quote, I decided from the outset to make exactly the sort of puppet film that I would enjoy. It was a challenge to make myself laugh, and since I still chuckle whenever I see Meet the Feebles, I guess it succeeded. That's all the New Zealand Film Commission has to say about this film. (laughs) All right.
2: Might be all they can say, but. Let's all go to the lobby.
0: Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.
1: As of right now, we looked high and low for this streaming anywhere. And the only place we found it was on Tubi, which has commercials. Which isn't that odd. I thought it would make it kind of surreal, given that this is supposed to be a puppet TV show. But one of those commercials was for one of those energy shots And I thought, you know, like, when this film first premiered in my town, it showed at the midnight movies. And that's when you need to watch this film. I do not recommend watching this film at two in the afternoon. This is something you watch after midnight. It's definitely that kind of film. And so what I think this movie pairs with is one of those little plastic energy shot bottles that truck drivers use and you find in all the truck stops.
0: Five hour energy.
2: Yep.
1: Five-hour energy.
0: My
2: boyfriend used to live off of those when he was delivering. Wow. Yep. My boyfriend and partner, he used to deliver appliances for a local retailer, and that's how he made it through the day were those five-hour energy shots and gas station pizza. Yeah. So (laughs) he is the target
1: demographic of this.
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: I hope you watched it with him.
2: I didn't watch it with him, but I'm thinking about doing it because I think he would get a big kick out of it just because of the vulgarity of it all. I think that he would think that that was really funny, at least for five minutes.
1: This movie, I cannot emphasize this enough, came out over 30 years ago. So think of what it was like now watching it Mm -hmm. compared to what it would have been like seeing it then. Yeah. It's time for reactions. Who wants to go first?
0: I'll go well, first. Right. Oh. <laughs> no, I'm glad. I'm glad someone else volunteered because I I don't even know where to start. Please, Rosie, kick us off. Okay, so I'm really beginning to wonder if this was the movie that
2: influenced Mr. Bungle. And if you guys know who Mr. Bungle is, it was a band. Um, it was a Mike Patton project. Mike Patton was in Faith No More, and he did several other bands. But that album in particular was like. If acid and PCP and marijuana and cocaine had a baby and made music, that's what that album would be. And it was very popular back in my partying days back in the early 90s. That being said, it just makes me wonder if Mike Patton didn't have a a late night drug-addled time where he decided to sit down and watch a movie and this was the movie and then that's what, what the movie that influenced him to create the album Mr. Bungle later. And also when I was watching this movie, I was thinking, this is, this is the Muppet movie on acid. (laughs) You know, I just couldn't help it, but, but think, but, but think that, you know, it's like if they went, if they decided to open up a theater in a crack alley somewhere and just gather whoever showed up and decided to put on a show, that's what would happen. Um. No, no offense to Peter Jackson, I'm glad that movie makes him laugh every now and then, but this movie would never fly now, and I kind of wasn't a fan when I was watching it because I just couldn't even, I couldn't even, it didn't hold my attention. I tried, I really tried, and and I would watch, I, I watched the movie, and I thought the effects were really cool, but yeah, it was vulgar as all get out, just like everything. It was like vulgar just to be vulgar within vulgarity. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I I found myself thinking about other movies like this um, that are, you know, intentionally just trying to be offensive in every way possible. Movies like um, This is the End, Mm -hmm. the Seth Rogen comedy where there's a demon who shows up and has like a huge swinging molten demon dick.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Other films like
0: this where that's the whole point of it. and. I was horrified, but also a little bit impressed that they yeah. really managed to take it a step further than I thought was possible for a film to do in every direction. Any film that has someone eating actual shit. Like it's a puppet, yeah. but like <laughs> like eating like what was clear like there was and this was what was concerning to me is that in a lot of these special effects I actually like couldn't unsuspend the disbelief like like (laughs) I really wanted to be like that's not actual vomit like I really wanted to say that to myself but it was like really convincing oh and like it looked like actual shit that the fly was eating and I was just like I I want to I want to tell myself how the special effect is done and that that's not what's happening right now but my brain wanted to believe it it was awful
2: yeah yeah it, exactly and didn't this movie kind of come around come out and, and eric correct me if i'm wrong but didn't this movie kind of come out during the same era as like heavy metal and the wall and things like that you know where they kind of push the boundaries of animation and puppetry and things like that am i wrong in this i was having flashbacks to heavy metal when i was watching it too
1: it's about a decade later okay The Wall and um, Heavy Metal are more toward like the end of the 70s, early 80s.
2: Okay, okay, that's right.
1: This is toward the end of the 80s. Okay. But, you know, we didn't live in the media-accelerated society we do now. Mm Mm-hmm. Animation and puppetry and stuff like that, projects that only relied on those things were fewer and far between. The only other puppet movie I think that had been made at this time that had no humans in it that was only puppet based. was the dark crystal.
0: Mm -hmm. You know what else this film reminded me of? Did either of you see team America when that came out in 2004, just like thinking about other puppet movies that are trying to be misogynistic, racist, and violent. (laughs) I mean like team America is missing some of the body humor, but all the other boxes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The other thing it has in common with team America is music numbers
0: yes
1: (laughs) which this has some awesome music numbers it does not the least of which is the culminating
0: showstopper yeah yes
1: sodomy (laughs) you may think it's very odd of me song that the fox (laughs) who's like the most normal (laughs) of all of the puppets like you're like okay he's the normal guy right no no he does this this big song and dance number to sodomy which is also the um the montage scene to a puppet massacre.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Both and.
1: (laughs) This film is worth the watch for that scene alone.
0: Uh, Yeah. And in fact, if you have delicate sensibilities but your curiosity is piqued, you could go straight to the ending and you would understand pretty like the you'd get pieces of all of it in those last 15 or 20 minutes <laughs> that's exactly
2: what happened to me that's when i got interest that's when i gained interest again was like i was sat in front of the movie the whole time okay but i had difficulty like staying engaged in it but when it got towards the end that machine gun scene and the first one that she shot i was like oh okay girl
0: You go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. I get it now.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I had the same feeling. Like,
0: up until then, it was just, like, not only was it disgusting, wrong, racist, sexist, like, you know, a little bit of of roofies and rape thrown into the middle of it. Like, not only was it all those things, but also, it wasn't enough of those things. Like, it was too much (laughs) and not enough at the same time. And I felt sad. I felt sad for so many of the characters. Like, a deep deep sadness like staring into the void sadness and then when she kills everyone at the end I'm like
2: yes <laughs> yes <laughs> all their poor miserable lives are over
1: <laughs> I felt bad for Harry man he survived pretty much what but they never say it but what's AIDS and then he never really wronged anyone and like then Heidi just blows him away. Like, he's one of the first ones that gets. like, right after he finds out he's going to live, boom, he's blown away. He's
2: done. Yeah, he's done. After living, like, the second half of the movie, like, a living, breathing pimple that's about to pop. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, he
0: totally grossed me out. Totally grossed me out. <laughs> There was a lot of vomiting in this film, considering that they're puppets. So part of what I really liked about this was about 10 minutes in, it became apparent, like, oh, this is a parody of the Muppets. And just sort of imagining, like, all the things that the Muppets kind of hint at. Mm -hmm. That if you stop to think about the fact that there's, like, a pig and a frog who have a romantic relationship. (laughs) if, If you go even, like, half a step further thinking what that actually entails then suddenly you get, like, an elephant-chicken hybrid baby. And it's just like, what? Um, He was like, it's not mine. Yeah. And the vomiting was the only thing that really felt like, no, I can't trace this back to anything in the Muppets, like, that immediately makes sense. But, like, a lot of the other stuff, like, there was one creature who had, like, a gonzo-like penis nose. yeah. And he was a pervert. (laughs) Yeah, he was a pervert. You know, like there were a couple things like that. I'm like, oh, okay, that's like a direct tie to the Muppets. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. A lot of times creators will find their audience after they create something. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times their audience might be kids, but that's not necessarily how they started out. I want to point out that the Muppet show, when they were first starting out, they were like sketches on Saturday Night Live. And in 1975, they released the Muppet show Sex and Violence. That was the title. (laughs) It's a completely different Muppets from what you know, what got retooled into the kids show, the Muppet show. Now, they were producing kids stuff for Sesame Street, but the Muppets, under that brand name, was not always completely wholesome family entertainment as we know it today.
0: We talked about the content warning that they've added, but one of the first things that really made me think about Meet the Feebles was the racial stereotypes that they threw in. And what you've said about Peter Jackson's aims makes it clear that this was not the primary focus of the film, but whether they were taking some of this content and going to the next level in order to critique the Muppets, in order to say like, hey, and all these racial stereotypes they have thrown in here are wrong and bad. And we're going to point that out by having an Indian guru, like, literally shove his head up his own asshole. Like, we're going to go that far. And then that'll make it clear, like, this is not okay.
1: The time I got that vibe most off of it was the Vietnam scenes, which, by the way, what a weird, like, what a weird digression to, like, suddenly have flashbacks to Vietnam puppets it's just meet the Feebles. It it's just meet the Feebles. You just gotta accept it.
0: Well, so I read in, in and maybe this was Wikipedia, but um, that those scenes in Vietnam were not actually part of anybody's original plan, and that they went rogue and filmed those scenes under a different film title. Frogs um, of War. Frogs of War. <laughs> <laughs> and that somehow they managed to sneak it into this film, but it was really like just like a couple guys who were like, "Yeah, we got to do this." Right.
2: Supposedly,
1: Peter Jackson was running around with a bolex shooting that in the grass and all that, which cracks me up because I have been that guy. I own a pistol grip bolex camera <laughs> and have run through the woods shooting stuff that way. And that is real see of your pants filmmaking right there.
0: <laughs> Do we think this is art? Like- Hell yeah! <laughs> okay, I was just, you know... Sometimes I wonder when things are offensive for offensiveness sake, like.
1: That's the best art.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, OK, sorry, I take it back. Like, yes, this is clearly art, but I I maybe what I'm getting at more is, are we OK with the fact that it is so offensive? Like, is, is this OK that this film was made this way? Is it doing any good in the world? <laughs> maybe another way to put it. It might be doing some good for
2: Peter Jackson and his partner. I mean, you know, memories.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't think there's anything wrong with music or movies or something like that being entertaining. Mm -hmm. And If this entertains people, then so be it. Some things that were considered extremely offensive decades ago now no longer are. There are other things that decades ago were not considered offensive, which now are. Well, we talked about The Muppet Show, but also Dr. Seuss was in the news for similar reasons. I don't think that the qualification of whether or not something is art is dependent on whether or not it's offensive.
0: Yeah, I think I was more thinking of it in terms of, you know, like satire when when the critique is too subtle, it sometimes runs the risk of reinforcing the exact thing it's trying to critique. I guess I'm going back and forth between this is so over the top that I feel like it actually avoids that trap that a lot of satire falls into, and that it is so overwhelming that you can't see the racist stereotypes in this film without saying like, wow that's incredibly racist and not okay and same with the fat shaming of the main character and that the fact that she then gets to murder everybody at the end like <laughs> makes it really clear that the film thinks that like fat shaming and that kind of like that that's not okay yeah like and but i was curious to hear what you two thought of like do you feel like it succeeds at going around
1: i think it succeeds at going around because it's puppets if it was human actors I might not be able to give it a pass,
2: Mm.
1: but I can because it's puppets. And keep in mind with something like fat shaming, Peter Jackson was not tipping the scales very, very lightly, you know?
2: Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen him skinny.
1: Yeah. And I think he was even heavier back then. It's not like he's not aware of that, you know? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I think you just got to leave everything at the door when you watch this film. Yeah. It is a no sacred cows, literally, film. (laughs) (laughs) I say that because there's a scene with a cow in a porno. That's the kind of movie this is.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah, I knew this wasn't going to be your regular run-of-the-mill film when I saw an elephant in BDSM gear. so <laughs> Yeah, that's like minute three or something.
0: I I'm know. like, oh, oh, here we go.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, this is going to be a ride. Okay, I'm in <laughs> for it. I'm here for it, you know, and, and I did my best. I swear I did my best. One of the points of art is to bring out an emotional response. This movie definitely brought an emotional response, good or bad. It brought out an emotional response. It did make us think about things. And it did make us question like, wow, okay. even though this movie was incredibly vulgar, look at the low key messages that it was actually trying to get across that it did still get across 30 years later that we can see now. So I feel like Peter Jackson, in a way, did make the point that he was trying to make while obviously having a lot of fun making a a no holds barred film.
1: Offensive art whether it's Serrano's Piss Christ or whatever, it serves a purpose. It gets people talking. It gets people thinking. And so I think that Meet the Feebles is super successful when it comes to that. And an artist, their work is part of a body of work, not just any one thing. And that's why I wanted to watch Meet the Feebles, because it is part of Peter Jackson's body of work, and it informs what comes later, including Lord of the Rings. But we will get there. In the meantime, I want to remind everybody to follow us on social media. We are Geek Channel 8, with the 8 as a number on Facebook. We are on Twitter at Geek Channel 8, with the 8 as a number. You can email us at the letter G, the letter C, the number 8 podcast, GC8podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. The main thing is like and subscribe so you can find the show from time to time. As of right now, you have to really search for us. So the other thing you can do if you want to help the show, rate and review on whatever platform you use. That's it. Until next time, this is Eric.
0: This is Johanna. And this is Rosie. Signing off.